mornings. I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, COVID-19 cases continue to drop and pandemic restrictions continue to ease, but vaccination rates are appearing to have plateaued. What happens next in the process of returning to normal? We'll speak with Hancock Public Health Commissioner Kareem Baroudi. Also this morning, from coronavirus to cancer, clinical trials are how we discover medicines and treatments which allow longer and healthier lives, and yet many myths remain. And we're counting down to Memorial Day weekend. It's the great travel reboot of 2021. Of all the industries that were hard hit by the pandemic, cruises have the most challenging return to normal. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition. For Monday, May 24th, 2021. If you are looking for a reason to celebrate today, it is Asparagus Day. So, what more do you need? I mean, it's it's Asparagus Day, and you know that that's that's it right there. We can just stop. <laughs> you need more? Okay. It is National Escargot Day. Asparagus and escargot doesn't get any better than that. It is Aviation Maintenance Technician Day to honor and salute all of those people who keep the planes flying. And not just planes, uh, but all sorts of uh, aircraft. Uh, Helicopters and medical helicopters. I mean, where would we be without air ambulances? Um... But uh, airliners and uh, all of that, Aviation Maintenance Technician Day. A big salute to all of the Aviation Maintenance Technicians. It is designated today uh, because today, incidentally, I thought this was kind of interesting, the birthday, today is the birthday of Charles Edward Taylor, who was the builder of the engine that powered the first Wright Brothers airplane in 1903. Of course, Mr. Taylor is no longer with us, but uh, on his birthday, we celebrate Aviation Maintenance Technician Day. So, how about that? Kind of interesting. Today is Brothers Day, International Tiara Day, and Scavenger Hunt Day today. So, there you go. You know, have a scavenger hunt at work and uh, honor the day. And the reward can be asparagus and escargot for lunch. So this is we're coming up on the end of the school year uh, this week for most area students, and this is kind of uh, interesting, a story in conjunction with that. In St. John's County, Florida, some parents are upset after high school officials altered the yearbook photos of 80 girls in the school without their knowledge or consent because... The girls, according to the school, were showing too much skin. So the school or the printer of the yearbook, not sure exactly who authorized this, but it wasn't the kids or their parents. Um, Somebody decided to cover up the students by altering the photographs, retouching the photographs. Well, retouching is... uh, being generous because i've seen some of the photos and they didn't even do it well i mean it is really obvious what they have in some cases they uh brought the uh, necklines of uh, girl shirts up a little bit higher 
Uh, in one photo, the uh, a, a female student was wearing a blouse off the shoulders, and they changed it so that the blouse was over the shoulders. Uh, it, it just ridiculous. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The uh, school was already facing criticism that its dress code is sexist and unfairly targets female students. Adrian Bartlett, whose daughter's photo was one of those edited to add more coverage to her cleavage, tells local news reporters, I think it sends a message that our girls should be ashamed of their bodies. And I think it's a horrible message to send out to those young girls that are going through those changes. School district spokeswoman said the school's yearbook coordinator decided that the girls were out of dress code in the photos and did some of the editing. No pictures of male students, including one of the swim team in Speedos, were altered. That's fine. But uh, but the girls, if the plunging neckline was a little too low, uh, they added some modesty. So, uh, kind of interesting. Uh, in addition to the complaints about the editing to do things like give more chest coverage or cover bare shoulders, there are also complaints... <coughs> excuse me. There are also complaints about the editing being poorly done. I mean, very poorly done. If you have seen the photos, or you can Google these, St. John's County High School uh, in Florida, uh, you can see the photos, and uh, they're bad. School is offering refunds of the cost of the yearbook to any parents calling to complain about the editing. The yearbooks do have to be returned to get a refund, though. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> That's adding insult to injury, and it okay. We'll, we'll we'll refund you, but you got to give us the uh, the yearbook back. You can't keep it and then claim a refund. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, the whole whole thing is a big uh, brouhaha, and uh, <clears throat> it does seem uh, a little. I I could understand if it was if it was something that was too revealing for either men or women. It was too revealing, but this is not that. I mean, if you see the pictures, you think, really, this is what you're upset about? Anyway, so big uh, big flap in uh, St. John's County, Florida, over that. Elsewhere, among the first things you need to know this morning, um, with the summertime coming up, if you suffer from seasonal allergies... They are worse this year than usual. You may have already noticed. According to recent research and forecasting, 2021 is shaping up to be a brutal year for allergies. The length and intensity of pollen seasons are growing overall. 2020, 2019, 2018 uh, were all uh, brutal. And they say the culprit is climate change. Say if the planet keeps warming up, miserable allergies will likely be the norm rather than the exception. Between 1990 and 2018, pollen concentrations in North America increased by 21%. Other factors can also contribute to making airborne pollen even more volatile. Internist and immunologist Dr. Tana Elliott says pollution like uh, automotive exhaust, nitrogen oxide can lead to the creation of super pollen <laughs> now that sounds like something we should be afraid of super pollen beware the super pollen and also very irritating air that triggers sneeze and mucus production pollen can bind to 
diesel exhaust, pollen can bind, can bind to diesel exhaust, and it becomes super pollen traveling longer dis distances and being bigger and more potent as an allergen. So, there you go. Some, some experts uh, even say that because we spent most of last year indoors, we had less exposure to allergen, allergens, and so any tolerance we build up in previous years may have waned slightly. So that may be confusing. So if you have uh, seasonal allergies and they've been really bad this year, it is not in your head. Cicadas are coming. The A Maryland company is... Uh, Coming up with a uh, rather catchy, crunchy candy in honor of Brood X, the uh, big cicada infestation. Uh, Choquette Chocolates is selling chocolate-covered cicadas. I kid you not. Celebrate the 17-year reappearance of the noisy insects. The cicadas are captured fresh, then frozen, air-fried, and dipped in milk or dark chocolate, milk or dark, <laughs> milk or dark chocolate. I'll spit it out here. I'd want to spit out the cicadas. Chocolate-covered cicadas just doesn't—that doesn't sound very appetizing to me. But to each his own. Experts say cicadas are low in fat and high in protein, and of course there are billions of them. <laughs> so. There is that. There's not like there's a shortage. There's, we have a shortage of a lot of things these days, but cicada is not going to be one of them. So, I don't know. Speaking of uh, bugs that people don't like, spiders are, I think, right up there for most people as things they don't like. Insects. I know they're not insects. Spiders technically not insects. They're arachnids. But you know what I mean. They're bugs that bug most of us. Uh, this I saw online a hilarious letter that someone had posted to uh, Instagram. And I don't even know where this is. What city, what state. But a, uh, a woman left a, a note for her mail carrier out by the mailbox, asking the post uh, postman's assistance in getting rid of a spider that has been camping out by her mailbox. The letter says, Dear Mr. Postman, Beholder of parcels, bringer of utility bills, I write to you on this day to ask a simple task. Living on the right side of my, my mailbox is a spider seemingly holding my mail hostage. If you could remove him for me, either by relocation or brutal murder, I would be forever in your debt. And just in case the postman didn't know what the spider looked like, the author included a drawing along with an annotation say, that reads, Spider looks like this. <laughs> A lot of people are saying, yeah, I, I can relate to that. But here's my, my thought. Why, what do you think, what makes you think that that's within the job description of the postman to remove spiders? That maybe the, maybe the postman doesn't like the spider any more than you do. Why should, why should the postman have to uh, remove the spider? That's. <laughs> and finally this morning, among the, it is a uh, funny uh, note though, and has uh, gone viral online. And finally, among the first things that you need to know to get your Monday morning started. I saw this story on the Newswire, and I thought, hmm, 
this is kind of interesting. Um, Kim Jong-un, the supreme leader of North Korea, has now banned, these are the latest things to be banned in North Korea, skinny jeans and mullets are no longer permitted in North Korea. Reportedly, in an attempt to get rid of decadent Western-style fashion trends, Kim Jong-un has approved 15 what he describes as non-socialist haircuts. (laughs) All North Koreans have to have one of 15 non-socialist haircuts. He uh, also bans skinny jeans, ripped jeans, sloganed t-shirts, any t-shirt with a slogan on it, and nose and lip piercings are now banned. Um, Not long ago, Kim Jong-un also issued a crackdown on South Korean K-pop bands. Uh, you know, the K-pop is like all the rage in music, in pop music that is K-pop, these South Korean boy bands, girl bands that uh, have all of these. So uh, Kim Jong-un doesn't like it, and he has cracked down on K-pop to stop outside influence from other nations. And I read that, and I thought to myself, let me see. Kim Jong-un has banned skinny jeans, mullets, Um, nose and lip piercings and K-pop music. So apparently he's not all bad. (laughs) He he does, it appears, have some redeeming qualities there. I gotta say, I'm I'm a little with Kim Jong-un on this one. I I think that he may be on to something there. Uh, There you go, some of the most uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. At least three people were killed and three others wounded in a shooting at about 2 a.m. Sunday outside a bar in Youngstown. Police Chief Carl Davis said gunfire was reported in the area of the Torch Club Bar and Grill. This is a complex investigation involving multiple crime scenes, numerous witnesses, six detectives, and we are using all of our available resources to ensure a thorough and proper investigation is conducted. None of the shootings occurred in the bar, but he said they stemmed from an incident which began there. No arrests were reported, but police said they were talking to several people. Just before that, late Saturday night, a shooting in downtown Columbus left a 16-year-old girl dead. Deputy Police Chief Tim Becker says a party organized on social media drew a large crowd after hours at Bicentennial Park along the river. We don't know exactly how many. It was not sanctioned by Rex and Parks. During the gunfire and the panic that ensued, a couple people were trampled. A 16-year-old boy, a 15-year-old girl, two 19-year-old women, and a 19-year-old man were also shot but are expected to be okay. Time has expired to be eligible for the first of five $1 million vaccine lottery drawings in Ohio. The first drawing is Wednesday. A state legislator opposed to the plan is trying to stop the drawings with last-minute legislation. I'm Dave James on the Ohio News Network. The countdown to summer is on. Memorial Day weekend, of course, uh, coming up and... Most of us, I think, are looking forward to maybe a return to some semblance of normalcy uh, this summer. 
But will we be able to do that? COVID-19 cases continue to drop and uh, pandemic restrictions continue to ease. But vaccination rates, however, appearing to plateau out. So what happens next in the process of returning to normal? Uh, Hancock Public Health Commissioner Kareem Baroudi is uh, with us this morning. And before we get into uh, all of the uh, the COVID stuff, a uh, couple of uh, really exciting things for Hancock Public Health over the course of the past couple of weeks. First of all, uh, reported that you have uh, uh, achieved accreditation by the Public Health Accreditation Board. What does that mean? Well, good morning, Chris, and thank you for having me this morning. Uh, indeed, it was it was uh, it was the best week ever. Uh, last <laughs> week, we got several good news. With the with the uh, first, the the cases are dropping. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're dropping fast. Um, I think vaccination picked up a little bit last week, and I think it's uh, supposed to pick up this week as well. Mm-hmm. Um, following that, uh, more eligible adolescent uh, group is. Uh, um, is eligible now. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I think uh, the pandemic is ending. If you want to start with the, with accreditation, I think that this has been in the work for a while. I think the, the pandemic sets us back a little bit. Um, this is a very rigorous uh, process. It's a national recognition that our public health uh, department is um, is one of one of the best and and according you know works according standards. The the fact that it was uh, not accredited before doesn't speak to the quality of uh, work that you do or anything like that, does it? It's- Absolutely not. But okay. now I think we're uh, we we're more accountable uh, to the people we serve. Uh, we have uh, again we, we we always use data. Uh, we always use uh, best practices. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a, it's a standard. It's a golden standard in public health, and I think um, uh, it's a mandate in Ohio as well now. So uh, that is uh, certainly good news. You also recently took uh, delivery of the uh, mobile uh, health clinic uh, vehicle. And again, we've talked about this uh, in the past as well. Uh, the opportunities that it affords you to now have a uh, this mobile clinic where you can go out in the community. Yeah, that happened last week too. And, and it was great because this is going to uh, provide access to um, to all the you know the population we serve in all four corners of the county uh, we're going to take public health services to them we're going to take prevention to them i think that's the key and i think this mobile health clinic is going to allow us to do that when uh when the mobile health clinic was uh, was announced that you were getting the uh, the vehicle uh some months ago most people associated and i think one of the things that that we talked about uh that would afford you the opportunity is to go and do uh mobile vaccination clinics and, and and so on, as it related to the uh, coronavirus. But this is about more than just COVID-19. Absolutely. We're going to start with doing a little more outreach vaccination, just make it convenient for mm-hmm. people who still want to consider the vaccine to be able to get it out of this mobile. Uh, but mostly we're going to have almost every, you know, every one of the 50 services we have in our brick and mortar place um, onto this mobile. Uh, it's mostly it's going to be educational. It's going to be well checks on there. It's going to be um, dealing with the priorities that came out of the health assessments. So it's going to be a combination of things, but in all in all, it's going to improve access. It's going to improve prevention. 
Yeah, because uh, I, I, one of the one of the things that I I heard a lot of people, and we got some comments on social media, is like uh, we're we're getting the uh, mobile clinic now, but the uh, but the pandemic is is ending. This is about more than the uh, pandemic, as you mentioned, wellness uh, checks and a lot of different things. You'll be able a, a to do lot with it. more. We want to make it convenient for Are, people. To where where do you anticipate using that? I mean, do you have uh, I, because I can I can envision obviously in some of the outlying communities, uh, maybe. Uh, senior uh, center, you know, that kind of thing? Seniors, that- senior centers, schools, outlying communities, mm-hmm. um, you know, parks, uh, festivals, okay. community dinners. Uh, we, again, we want to make, you know, a check in your um, doing well checks, you know, more convenient for our residents because mm-hmm. the more we know about our health, the more we can act and the more we can do better. So it gives you an opportunity yep. to uh, be at all of those places. Yeah. I'm thinking it, it's going to take a couple more weeks to get registration and insurance insurance on it and everything else but mm-hmm. um in a couple of weeks you should expect that in, in a festival near you or a neighborhood near so you. one of the things we may see out and about this summer Absolutely. um and that brings us to the question was summertime coming everybody is uh, uh, really hoping for a re- return to some semblance of normal as we mentioned we're seeing uh, many of the restrictions continue to ease i think uh, coming up here uh in the next several days ohio will lift all of its uh mandates uh for for everyone uh, vaccinated or not, as you mentioned, the uh, cases we do see continue to decline. Um, we've seen, a, as you alluded to, a slight increase in the number of vaccinations, but overall nationally, it does appear that it has uh, plateaued somewhat. Yeah, and our vaccination rate as of this morning, it's about 40% of our population got vaccinated. This is a little bit skewed because that's taken into consideration the, the groups that were not eligible to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. You know, that's about 20% of our population. You know, there are um, 16 and below. Um, this this should improve now with the 12 and above being eligible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you factor all this in, it's about 50, 60% of us are immune. Um, I think that put us in a really good position now to start losing some of the uh, uh, some of the restrictions. Um, I think the most uh, uh, group to be worried about, you know, moving forward is the people who are not vaccinated mm-hmm. uh, because the vaccine is proven to be safe, effective, even effective on some of the variants we're seeing. Um, it, I mean, the numbers show it really cre- clearly. So I think the, the most important people that we need to, to worry about and, and make sure they are protected are the people who are unvaccinated at this point. Um, and there are are, there continue to be some of the uh, reports there in the news uh, just today uh, of some young people who have had adverse reactions, um, much like the uh, questions over the J&J vaccine uh, some weeks ago. Those are, are serious reports, but we do need to keep those in perspective. Absolutely. I mean, every medicine we take, every every vaccine we take that might have some uh, some adverse effect. Um, that's why we have a robust reporting system to be able to catch those really quick. Um, so far, there's no connection to the vaccine. Those are like you know initial reports, but uh, they're looking more into it. One of those uh, issues of correlation versus causation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as absolutely. we uh, always talk, we've got to uh, keep in mind and the number of them. Uh, relatively small, uh, given the amount of vaccines that have been distributed or have been. Yeah, we uh, always we, ha- we have to weigh the 
the benef- the risks or the benefits, and I think the benefits are clear, clear outweigh the risks. The the uh, push continues to be to encourage people to get vaccinated. Of course, the uh, first of those uh, vaccinillion uh, drawings is coming up uh, this week, and uh, the governor it was kind of interesting was was criticized when he announced uh, the uh, the uh, cash giveaway as an incentive uh, to get people uh, vaccinated, but it does seem to be having the effect uh, the intended effect because uh, those uh, vaccination rates have have gone up in the weeks since. I, I think it did, and um, you know, I I will hate to think that money is the only incentive for people <laughs> to get the vaccine. But people who are on the fence, people who have enough data now, I mean, since we rolled out the vaccine back in in December, um, they're seeing there's you know uh, rare adverse effects. Uh, the benefits way outweigh the the, the risks. Um, I think people are reconsidering the vaccine. Yeah, um, which I, is good. We you know it's something that we talked about on the uh, on the program uh, last week. Uh, if the goal was to get people vaccinated uh, by using this money, uh, it, it, you can't argue with the results. I mean, it's uh, certainly an unconventional way of approaching it, but it is uh, it has certainly done its job, and other uh, states have uh, kind of joined in and doing similar. I think it, it gained national recognition, yeah. and I think uh, a lot of other states are kind of trying to uh, replicate that. Yeah, so you look at it in uh, <laughs> intended effect, I suppose. The big thing uh, is... The, the vaccines are rel- readily available. I mean, for, for many weeks, we had the conversation of this is when we're going to do clinics and you have to sign up. And all. it's pretty much available on demand now. Absolutely. And I think uh, uh, following the the uh, group that became eligible last week, we did organize a clinic for the 12 and above on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, you know, uh, uptake on that clinic was really good. So we decided to do another clinic tomorrow tuesday and the link is on our website we we encourage the 12 and above we're going to give the pfizer at that clinic it's going to be at the mill stream um, at the fairground uh, from 3 30 to 6 30 just make it convenient after school and after work for uh, for parents and guardians who are considering to to get the vaccine as well we have walk-in clinics every thursday um, from 12 to 1 30 uh, two o'clock at the health department that's a walk-in clinic you don't need to pre-register for that so uh, they so it is certainly available. And bottom line, with the lifting of the restrictions, you see more gatherings, uh, sports stadiums going back to full capacity. Um, you know all of these types of things. You comfortable with uh, where things are and the the lifting restrictions and so on? I, I think we're we're again. I said fifty sixty percent of our population now it's immune. I feel comfortable enough to lift the restrictions. I want to keep urging the people who are considering the vaccine to get the vaccine. The quicker we can get the vaccine, the more we are protected too. We will leave it there. Again, uh, Hancock Public Health Commissioner Kareem Baroudi with us uh, this morning. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate Thank it. Thank you. From the health and medical file this morning, clinical trials are how we get new life-saving medicines and treatments for all kinds of conditions and diseases, from the coronavirus to cancer, and yet there remain a number of myths and misperceptions about what clinical trials are and how they work. Uh, Leah Zamita is director of clinical trials, uh, the Clinical Trial Support Center for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Uh, and uh, Mel Mann is a chronic myeloid leukemia survivor and patient advocate. Uh, Leah, want to get right to some of these myths about clinical trials. There's this misperception that people who enroll in them are human guinea pigs. What 
how do you uh, counter that common misperception? Well, Chris, a, a clinical trial is really a carefully controlled research study that's condu- conducted by doctors or researchers to improve the care and treatment of people with cancer. And safety is the top priority. Every trial is designed to give patients the safest and potentially most effective clinical therapies. So each clinical trial follows follows a very rigorous protocol that has specific guidelines and safety measures that must be followed the entire time. So patients really are, you know, their safety is the top priority. And before someone even enrolls in a clinical trial, you go through something called an informed consent process. And this is the opportunity where patients have uh, the ability to ask questions, to share their concerns or fears, and have things explained to them in detail if they don't understand something. So that's a really important part of the process and a big reason why patients are not, in fact, um, human guinea pigs. And uh, Mel, you are, as I said, a patient advocate and advocate for clinical trials. You've been part of multiple trials yourself. Talk a little bit about your experience. 26 years ago, I was diagnosed with terminal leukemia, and I was given only three years to live. Hmm. And I was only major stationed up in Michigan with my wife and our five-year-old daughter. And the only possible cure was a bone marrow transplant. And despite conducting numerous bone marrow drives, I was unable to find a donor. About 18 months after my diagnosis, a businessman who had a different type of leukemia, he came to, to a marrow drive that I had and suggested that I give clinical trials a try. So I had a double clinical trials, and at the three-year mark, uh, I was getting worse. And at a three-and-a-half-year mark, I entered a clinical trial on a drug called Gleevec, and the drug worked. Mm. And I was able to run a 26.2-mile marathon nine months wow. after starting. Wow. That's, yes. in, that's interesting you bring that up because that is uh, today uh, a pretty well-known uh, medication. Uh, although, uh, Leah, uh, in, in you know Mel talking about uh, his experience, uh, that actually speaks to one of the other myths that, that you want to kind of dispel is that the common belief that clinic, clinical trials are only for patients who have exhausted all of the other standard treatment options. Right. So clinical trials are available for every stage of disease, and they're available available to patients who are just diagnosed and haven't yet received any treatment. Uh, There are trials for people whose cancer did not respond to prior treatment, like Mel. There's people whose uh, cancer came back, but there are even clinical trials for people who are on maintenance therapy or in remission. And Mel's story is such an amazing one, and it's a great example of why clinical trials should be discussed early in diagnosis and at eight, in each change of treatment plan with the patient and their healthcare team. Mel, did you ever look at it that way in, in terms of uh, getting into a, entering a trial as sort of the option of last resort? Well, I, I saw it in several ways. Uh, uh, one way was uh, uh, to improve my quality of life because of the medication that I was taking was uh, an injection mm-hmm. that I had to take uh, daily. And uh, then it was also a chance to uh, have a better outcome. Leah, one of the other uh, more common uh, misperceptions with respect to clinical trials, and and this is uh, maybe one of the things that I, I would guess keeps some people from signing up, is the reality that in order to have a scientific trial, you need a control group. And there are patients that will receive 
placebos rather than actual medications. How does that work? So I think what's important to, uh, to explain is that most cancer clinical trials do not use a placebo, but if they do, it's always given along with an active drug or what we call standard of care therapy. So no patient in a cancer clinical trial is only going to receive a placebo. And if the trial you're about to enroll in does include a potential placebo, you're going to know about that right from the get-go when you go through the informed consent process. And what you're speaking to about um, a control group, so that is a little bit of a complicated um, situation, but basically if a new treatment makes it through you know, the preclinical trial setting in the lab and it's safe and effective and makes it through phase one and phase two, phase three clinical trials do have two groups of patients. One gets this new treatment, but one gets um, the best approved therapy which is what we call the gold standard. And this may include a placebo, but please keep in mind that it's never only a placebo. Mm. But what researchers are doing in this type of trial is saying, okay, is our new treatment as good, if not better, than what we've considered to be the best available treatment option? And if it is, that's when things typically go forward and get FDA approval. Mel, uh, as you were mentioning, at one point, someone uh, came to you and convinced you to sign up for your first clinical trial, and you have since participated, as we said, within uh, in several. Uh, what would you say to a patient who uh, is considering a, a clinical trial, maybe heard about one uh, and is curious but maybe a little apprehensive? What would you say to that individual? Well, I would say consider all of your options because you know what the current treatments are, and uh, clinical trials give you that gives you a better may um, give you a better o- outcome, and uh, it's a chance to get tomorrow's medicine today. So uh, it's definitely worth talking with your doctor and having a good patient doctor dialogue. So I'll definitely encourage them to. Uh, consider clinical trials. And certainly from your experience, uh, it has been successful uh, given where you are now and uh, where the doctors thought you would be uh, uh, when all of this uh, started, when you were originally diagnosed. Uh, Leah, the uh, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society specifically has a a number of resources um, and staff dedicated to helping individuals get more information and navigate uh, the whole process of clinical trials. Where do we go to get more information? Yes, you know, the clinical trial process can be a little tricky to navigate. And the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society has a free service called the Clinical Trial Support Center. We are a team of nurses with expertise in blood cancer, and we are here to help patients or their family members identify potential trials and overcome those bumps in the road and really provide support through the entire process. Uh, For more information about clinical trials or about our additional resources, feel free to call our Information Resource Center at 1-800-955-4572. We have bilingual specialists who are waiting to take your call. And you can also visit our website at lls.org to either live chat 
uh, email us or find out more information. Again, uh, modern medicine would not be where it is today uh, with respect to everything from the coronavirus to cancer without clinical trials. And again, Leah Zumida is director of the Clinical Trial Support Center for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, uh, and Mel Mann, a, a patient advocate and uh, patient of a number of clinical trials himself with us this morning. Thank you both for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you for having We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update of the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you, as always, by Hancock County Veterans Services. And this is something to be mindful of as we head to the summer season. Uh, You want to be careful. You fall asleep at the beach or by the pool. You know, you're laying out. You fall asleep. That can be very dangerous. And nowadays, uh, here's another way that it can be very dangerous. man by the name of Nick Murray, who lives in Mexico, recently uh, went viral online for what he claimed were bad mask tan lines he got. (laughs) <laughs> he fell asleep. I don't know if it was on the beach or at the pool, but he fell asleep with his mask on. <laughs> now he has tan lines on that. Well, supposedly he has uh, tan lines. Turns out that uh, he uh, had uh, supposedly used a filter to trick his followers and make it look like he had fallen asleep with his mask on. And so he got this uh, tan on his entire face except where his mask was covering up. But I can see that happening to someone. I mean, whether uh, or not, <laughs> it's actually rather convincing. I saw the photo. It's rather convincing. But it may have not been real, but let it be a cautionary tale to you. I just thought I'd point that out. It's a public service. <clears throat> Here is a, uh, this is a true story, and this is one of those you know you're having a bad day. You know it's going to be a bad day when the first thing uh, that happens to you in the morning is when a large chunk of ice falls out of the sky and through the roof of your home. Believe it or not, this happened in Florida. Uh, the Martin County Sheriff's Office said a, an ice chunk fell out of the sky Wednesday morning, punched a large hole through the roof uh, near the edge of one home in Palm City, Florida. Uh, the ice landed actually outside the home rather than inside because it was on the edge of the roof, so it could have been a lot worse. But that's not something you expect to happen every day, and certainly not in Florida. The sheriff's office said that there were no reports of injuries from the ice chunks plunge. Deputies said they do not yet have an explanation for where the huge chunk of ice came from. Usually, isn't it planes that that you know would drop that or, or something? But I don't know if there were any planes overhead at the time, so nobody really knows where it came from. Uh, If you think that is bad, how about this? Talk about a bad day. In Austria, a hospital is admitting that an elderly patient had the wrong leg amputated due to what they're calling human error. (laughs) Oh, it's just a mistake. Oops. 82-year-old went in to have his left leg removed on Tuesday. However, the Friesdat Clinic says a hospital worker put the uh, preoperative mark on the right leg. And that told doctors which one to amputate and it was the wrong one. The mistake wasn't discovered until Thursday morning during a standard uh, wound dressing change. They had to change the dressing 
And that's when somebody realized, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> this is wrong. The man had to have his other leg amputated afterwards because whatever the condition was that had he had to have the leg amputated, he still had to have it amputated. The surgeon who performed the procedure is now off duty. <laughs> I would think, I would hope the uh, surgeon would be off duty for a while. Oops. That is a bad day right there. Um, a California uh, man by the name of Adrian, I don't have his last name, had a, a birthday over the weekend, and he decided he wanted to he wanted to have a party. So he invited people on TikTok to come to, to come to his birthday party. Uh, the problem was that the video of him inviting people to his birthday party at Huntington Beach went viral with more than 200 million views. <laughs> and thousands of people actually showed up at his birthday party. I don't know that he was necessarily thinking that it would get this big. Thousands of people showed up at Huntington Beach. Now, in California, uh, that is considered an unlawful assembly. I would think anywhere, if you get thousands of people to show up somewhere on an impromptu basis, you're probably going to be in a little bit of trouble. But especially in California these days, NBC Los Angeles reports almost 150 people were arrested because stuff happened. <laughs> you get that number of people who are just show up because of an invitation on social media, something is going to happen. About 150 people ended up getting arrested. Local authorities declared the gathering an unlawful assembly and had to use tear gas to break up the crowd at about 11.30 p.m. <laughs> so, stories of a bad day, and then sometimes your day can be a little too good on your birthday. It's a little too good. And finally, in the broken news this morning... An American Airlines flight from Tokyo to Dallas had to be diverted to Seattle Airport after a passenger assaulted a flight attendant and tried to uh, enter the flight deck, tried to get through the door of the flight deck, uh, because the and all because the phone charger in her seat stopped working. <laughs> Waka Suzuki. Uh, is the uh, lady's name. Initially, she was calm when she boarded the flight, kept herself busy by watching a movie on her mobile phone. However, roughly three to four hours into the 11-hour flight, she requested assistance from flight attendants because the phone charger at her seat did not appear to be working. Ms. Suzuki reportedly demanded flight attendants bring her some item to resolve the issue. I'm not sure what she expected, but when they were not able to resolve the issue, she apparently started running down the aircraft aisle from her seat toward the flight deck. Another flight attendant attempted to stop her, but she allegedly pushed past her, stomped on her foot, and continued going until she got to the door, uh, the pilot's door. The flight deck started banging on it, demanding help to resolve the phone charging issue. The captain then put the aircraft into level 3 lockdown and informed the FAA of a threat to the aircraft, while Ms. Suzuki had to be restrained with plastic flexicuffs. 
The flight diverted to Seattle where it took 25 minutes to remove Ms. Suzuki from the plane. She is accused of knowingly and intentionally interfering with flight crew members. The FBI is investigating. And all because the phone charger at her seat was not working. Man, some people really have to put things into perspective. You know? Is is that worth it? Wow. Right, is it, well, the, every other passenger on the plane has a story to tell. Now, there you go. Uh, that is today's broken news, the odd and unusual side of the news, brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veteran Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. This is Ed Blentz with OSU Extension. It's planning season. Drivers will be sharing roads with tractors and farm machinery. Be alert for slow-moving vehicles, especially on roads with limited visibility. Watch out for equipment pulling in and out of fields. Drivers and farmers, let's work together this spring to keep our roads safe and accident-free. This message from WFIN and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, and the statistics that shape our lives. If you can never find the good snacks at home, it is likely because you don't know the secret spot. A new survey of 2,000 Americans reveals that nearly half of all people, 48%, admit they have stashed their favorite treats in hidden spots around the house. (laughs) And most of those say they have absolutely no intention of sharing those snacks with the rest of their family. (laughs) Now, the reason why may not necessarily be what you think. Maybe you you think, well, that's because they're sneaking snacks that they're really not supposed to have, maybe uh, blowing their diet or or whatever, and and they want to hide their snacking from folks. Not necessarily. 46% of those who have hidden snacks said they simply don't want to (laughs) share. They're they're not ashamed. They just don't want to share. 53% said that the people they live with, their kids, their spouse, would eat them all if they knew where to look. (laughs) Guilty. Right here. Guilty. Among those who admit to hiding snacks, 7 in 10 said that their uh, snack stash has at one point been discovered by someone else. 72% say that someone has discovered their hiding spot, meaning they've had to find a new one. And on average, they have had to move their snacks four times in order to keep it a secret. Four times. So here it is. A little bit of advice for you. If you are looking for the snacks at home and you can't find them, places to look behind the washing machine... Inside oatmeal containers, or I would expand on that, inside the containers of healthy snacks where no one, that, that no one really wants to eat. <laughs> you hide your cupcakes inside the rice cakes container, you know, something like that. Um, and behind books on a bookshelf is a popular spot as well. So some of the creative places that respondents in this survey admit that they use for storing st- storing those snacks 
Memorial Day weekend coming up, a traditional kickoff of the summer season, and it is definitely going to be the summer travel season this year. That's what we keep hearing. Uh, Obviously, one of the uh, uh, travel industries that was hardest hit by the pandemic is the cruise industry. And as that restarts, joining us this morning to talk about what travelers can expect when they're ready to take that long overdue cruise is travel expert Michaela Guzzi. Michaela, what should people be thinking about when planning for a cruise uh, coming up here in the near future? Sure. I mean, look, I think there's a huge pent-up demand for travel. We've all been on lockdown. We've been socially isolated, and we all want to get back out there. And so I think this is going to be like the roaring 20s of travel. Very excitingly, Norwegian Cruise Lines have launched their first sailings. They'll be in July leaving the Greek Isles. Uh, They also have sailings in the Caribbean. And I've got my eye on a Mediterranean sailing leaving from Barcelona uh, this fall, which I can't wait for. And obviously, all the cruise lines have had to take safety very, very seriously. They're all working in accordance with the CDC. Um, and hopefully we'll be returning to the U.S. very soon. Norwegian Cruise Lines has made the decision to have all crew and passengers fully vaccinated to keep everyone as healthy and safe as possible. And they've yeah. always had very strict uh, safety protocols. So yeah. you will notice enhanced cleaning and safety efforts, but they've always gone the extra mile. So uh, it's a good point. First and foremost, uh, if you're planning on a cruise, you're going to have to be vaccinated. So uh, that's one of the first things that should be uh, on your list. For Norwegian cruise lines, I can't speak to all the cruise lines. Yeah, Um, would would imagine that that most will probably follow suit. So uh, after that, again, that would be number one on the list. After that, what uh, tips would you have for those planning for a a cruise vacation in this new normal? Sure. Well, I mean, first off, always do your research in general. Um, It's good to know where to go and how to get there and hopefully do so sustainably. Um, But all, for example, Norwegian Cruise Lines have over 300 different destinations that they sail to and their fleet is currently 17 ships. So there's a lot of options to choose from and which ship fits you and your family or your travel buddies the best. Um, as well as what itineraries are you most interested in. And uh, Norwegian have also just made the big announcement that they're launching an entire new class of ship called the Norwegian Prima. And this this ship is a work of art, literally, and they have an Italian graffiti artist that did the whole art. He's from Italy. He's called Pita. But there's an art sculpture park, I guess you could call it, on the ship with these hmm. beautiful glass walkways that really make it look like you're walking on water. They have two infinity pools on either side of the ship that make it feel like you're literally swimming in the sea, kind of terrifyingly awesome there. And they have an entire new food concept um, with 11 different restaurants and a food hall. So all kind of new and first is going to have a lot more space than... Um, really any ship in the industry. So encourage you to check that out. And this is the type of stuff that you need to do a little bit of research on your own 
as well as maybe with a travel advisor to figure out like what type of cruise vacation are you looking for? Where do you want to go? What type of experiences? Both on board, they have great things like Broadway caliber entertainment, so much dining options. They have great spas. So kind of the world is your oyster. So do your research before you go. Kind of uh, plant the seed there and get people thinking about this. You were mentioning earlier some of the uh, sailing, some of the ports, some of the uh, destinations uh, that that you are most looking forward to and will probably be very popular. Let me ask you this, kind of the reverse of that. What are maybe some of the hidden gems for those who might still want to, uh, might want to be ready to cruise, but want to avoid some of the crowds? Some of the ones that might be hidden gems, maybe a little less crowded uh, that are worth looking at. One of the things that I'm totally excited about with the Prima, which is the new ship that's launching in 2022, is they have sailings going into places like Iceland. And Iceland is just this natural wonderland, right? And uh, great outdoors. It's big, it's beautiful, it's expansive. Um, And again, the Prima is made unlike any other ship that's out there sailing. It has so much space and so much outdoor space. So you're mm. really meant to be in the great outdoors. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to continuing to explore some off the beaten track uh, destinations. But they've really they're they're moving the needle in terms of with Prima having less people on board and giving more space. Yeah, uh, and and you bring up. And you bring up Iceland is a a great destination because I think a lot of times people think of Iceland as the North Pole. And it is is not that from the name. uh, Don't let that fool you because uh, it is a wonderful, wonderful destination. Uh, Again, uh, travel expert Michaela Guzzi with us uh, this morning talking about uh, restarting cruises. Starting to think about cruise vacations in the uh, return of summer travel 2021. Michaela, where do folks get more information? Check out ncl.com. They have more information about Prima as well as those itineraries. Plus, they have a very special deal with 30% off of sailing. It's a value of $2,900 US dollars that include all kinds of things like food and beverage credits. So check that out. Also, some important information on uh, precautions and protocols uh, that are still in place uh, as we get through the uh, waning weeks. What we hope will be the waning weeks and months of the, of the pandemic. Michaela, thanks very much for taking the time we appreciate it thank you for having me and that will put a wrap on our podcast for today I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning remember you can get more information about all of the topics we talk about each day at our webpage goodmornings.net we are always on 24 7 on the world wide web so bookmark our page and check back every day coming up tomorrow on the program may is foster care month Sesame Workshop launching an initiative to help kids cope and there's always a need for foster families to tell you how you can make a difference in a child's life. Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.